This episode is sponsored by Frontend Masters. They have a terrific lineup of live courses you can attend either online or in person. They also have a terrific backlog of courses you can watch, including JavaScript Good Parts, Build Web Applications with Node.js, AngularJS In-Depth, and Advanced JavaScript. You can go check them out at frontendmasters.com. This episode is sponsored by Hired.com. Every week on Hired, they run an auction where over a 1,000 tech companies in San Francisco, New York, and L.A. bid on JavaScript developers, providing them with salary and equity up front. The average JavaScript developer gets an average of 5 to 15 introductory offers and an average salary offer of $130,000 a year. Users can either accept an offer and go right into interviewing with the company or deny them without any continuing obligations. It's totally free for users, and when you're hired, they also give you a $2,000 bonus as a thank you for using them. But if you use the Ruby Rogues link, you'll get a $4,000 bonus instead. Finally, if you're not looking for a job but know someone who is, you can refer them to Hired and get a $1,337 bonus if they accept a job. Go sign up at Hired.com slash JavaScript Jabber. This episode is sponsored by Rollbar. One of the frustrating things about being a developer is dealing with errors. Ugh. Relying on users to report errors, digging through log files to try debugging issues, or a million alerts flooding your inbox ruining your day. With Rollbar's full stack error monitoring, you get the context, insights, and control you need to find and fix bugs faster. It's easy to install and you can start tracking production errors and deployments in eight minutes or less. We have a special offer for JavaScript Jabber listeners. Go to rollbar.com slash jsjabber and sign up to get the bootstrap plan free for 90 days. That's 300,000 errors tracked for free. Loved by developers at awesome companies like Heroku, Twilio, Kayak, Instacart, Zendesk, Twitch, and more. Give Rollbar a try today. Go to rollbar.com slash jsjabber. My name is Nader David. Um, I work at a company called School Status in Madison, Mississippi. Um, we've been using React Native for about a year and a half, and we develop um, mobile apps and desktop apps and also web apps for K-12 schools. We do data visualization. Um, we have uh, schools uh, in the southeast United States for the most part. And, um, yeah. Um, yeah, so I'm Mike, and I'm a React Native core contributor. I'm also the co-author of RMPM that has been recently merged with the React Native. Uh, and now it's known as a CLI. Uh, and I'm also a co-founder of Callstack.io, which is a software house delivering React Native apps to our clients all over the globe. Um, I think that's all. All right. Well, let's let's go ahead and start at the beginning and give people a quick sketch of what React Native is. I know we've done other shows on it, but I like to just get the simple stuff out of the way so we can ask all the deep questions. Yeah, so um, I guess I'll uh, give you um, a quick overview from uh, my point of view um, and why we like it and why I like it. So it's basically a way to build um, native performing mobile apps on Android, iOS, and um, also uh, they're all already targeting Windows and desktop applications using mainly JavaScript. So basically the difference between React Native and um, something like a hybrid or Cordova is uh, instead of actually running a web view like Cordova or a hybrid app would do, you're actually accessing native components. So the performance is really, really nice. And you're also able to um, access the native APIs directly just using JavaScript. So it's really great for web developers or JavaScript developers looking to get into um, mobile development because you don't really have to learn a lot of other things. You kind of use your existing knowledge and you're able to build these really high quality mobile apps. And it's backed by Facebook. Uh, it's built using um, React. So if you already know React, it's easy to jump into because it's using very similar syntax. And um, you're also using the same state and props and things that you're used to when using React on the web. But you're able to target these other platforms. 
Now it works over JavaScript core. I'll put a link to the in the show notes to the episode we did on the iFreak show uh, for uh, JavaScript core. I also should point out that uh, Natter and Mike and several other folks get together every week and do a show called React Native, which is part of DevChat.tv. Um, but I'm wondering um, <clears throat> how how is writing? Because I know people are listening to this and they're going, "Well, you know, I keep hearing that I should write uh, I should write my applications with." Um, with Swift or with Objective-C or with, uh, you know, whatever other native technology. I guess it's a form of Java in in Android. So, you know, are, are there things that you can't do with React Native that you can do with React Native? Well, uh, mostly no, I would say. Like, like, you know, the power of React Native is, native is that you can write native modules. So essentially... In case there is anything missing, uh, if, if you are writing a mobile app, like if there is, uh, if there is like like a, I don't know, lock screen controls missing or some Bluetooth interactions are missing, you can always write them. So, for example, we have been recently writing a media player uh, in React Native, and there was no module like available to control the media player uh, natively and control lock screen controls. So we just wrote the missing APIs and just ported them to JavaScript so that it was totally uh, like doable from the JS without actually writing any native code by other developers. So that's that, that's a very, very important feature of React Native itself. Plus, like the native modules itself are, are a very, very nice abstraction because you can write them without actually being an expert in either Java or Objective-C. So for example, our developers that have little native knowledge can usually write some very, very simple native modules by just checking out the documentation and checking out the native APIs and, and just going through the documentation. So if you have some native knowledge or if you have a native developer inside your team, you can always ask them to, to port like a native component for you so that you can use them from, from the JavaScript. So you can always extend it. And I wouldn't say there are any limitations. There might be some limitations out of the box, but if you can write some things and if you know how to overcome them you can do pretty much anything so uh, i have a i have a question about um something that was kind of touched on when react native first came out which is this promise that you can share a lot of code between your native application and your web application if you're building a web application in, in react in practice i mean it's been out for for a year and a half a couple of years now do you feel like this is a thing that happens a lot in practice, or is it mostly just a tool you use to build cross-platform mobile applications, and, and it's a little more theoretical still, the idea of sharing components, for example, or, or flux architecture between um, your mobile and your web app? So um, you're, you're talking about maybe sharing the exact code between the web and, and the mobile app? Yeah, I mean, obviously, the, the way underlying, I mean, divs don't work on React Native, and, and the native wrappers or, or the, the components that are wrapped around native iOS things won't work on the web. But, but at some point, it's JavaScript, and, and you can share that stuff. Is that something people are doing a lot of? Well, I can tell you, for one thing, um, we're sharing a lot of our data architecture. So if you write, like, your data layer in Redux or in Flux or, or maybe even MobX, you can um, use that exact code in your web and your mobile app as long as you're kind of working with the same data structures. 
So that's been really nice. And there's actually a project out there called React Native Web, which actually compiles React Native code into web elements. So basically, uh, what so you're used to seeing... The tables yeah, are turned. Cool. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's, it's kind of crazy. So, so if you're used to using divs in web, then you would be using something called a view in React Native, which functions very similar, similarly to a, a div. Um, so basically what React Native Web would do, it would take the view and you would be able to compile your app down into a web app. So your views will be compiled down to divs, your styling would be compiled to CSS or to JavaScript uh, styling and um, your like text elements uh, would be compiled to paragraph elements or spans. So that project is still in the work. So um, once that gets a little more robust and a little more um, stable, that idea of, of sharing web, mobile, desktop could be a viable option. Yeah, like like in the in the applications we are doing for our clients, we get a lot of requests about sharing like like what they have already done in web uh, with React Native. For example, like currently we are working um, on an application that already works with React JS on web. It's fully deployed and, and kind of has like like six or or a year of like commit history. And what what we are essentially doing is we are just writing views because like the logic is another set like reducers actions they are already there so we can just share them we don't have to write any additional logic of course sometimes there are places where you have to write something platform specific but like speaking for JavaScript uh, like data layer can be fully reused if it's done properly uh, as far as native modules are considered there is a um, you have to think for yourself, like like where where to draw the line between native code and the JS code. Like for example, when we were doing some um, uh, some media player stuff that I've uh, previously mentioned, we had to find a good balance between the JavaScript interface and the Objective C and Java code, so that we can not only write something that works like bugless on all platforms, but can be also reused like one hundred percent. So we decided to go with as little native code as possible so that you can control the player, for example, from the JS. You can, uh, you, you can do all the shuffling, uh, you know, play queue management from the JavaScript. And essentially, our native interface was just uh, a set of four methods like play, stop, uh, previews, and next. Uh, and that was all. And thanks to that, we could reuse like, like almost every, every like, crucial piece uh, of the logic so that if there was a bug on iOS, for example, that music was stopping in the middle of a playback, we know that it's an issue in our JS code that is probably happening on Android as well. So thanks to that, when I fixed this on iOS, I was pretty sure the bug is going to be solved on Android as well. So it's always like a matter of finding a good balance, uh, how much of native code there should be written and where like like and, and how much of js there should be there should be in the code so 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 i think it's totally possible it's just you have to find uh, that balance and and just stick to it so related to jameson's question i'm wondering if i've done web development with react how how much of my skill is going to cross over into react native versus you know how much, or I guess the other way of asking the question is, what else do I need to know besides what I would know if I'm familiar with React on the web? Well, um, I can tell you in my experience uh, because I came from web development into React Native, but I've done a lot of 
hybrid uh, mobile development before I got into React Native. The One of the main things that coming into building native-looking and native um, mobile apps versus hybrid or web apps, um, one thing that you have to kind of think about is certain UI elements that are um, platform-specific. So like Android has a certain date picker that, that they use across most uh, of their apps, and then they have toolbars, and there's uh, pickers and and all different all these different native um, implementations. So thinking thinking in that way is one thing that you have to kind of um, start doing when you move into this type of thing. But as far as just being able to grasp the language, if you're a React developer or you're a JavaScript developer, um, especially if you're a React developer, all of the actual syntax and the actual like language and building the actual components is very, very similar. There's a few things that are different. Um, things like thinking as far as your styling goes. You know, we don't have CSS, but we do have something that's very similar. Um, they've actually ported over Flexbox, a Flexbox implementation, I should say, into React Native that allows you to do a lot of the similar styling that you're used to in CSS with slight differences. So, like, I would say you can take uh, a lot of your knowledge and be able to be able to get up and running with React Native fairly quickly. If you're, if you're using React, I would say very quickly. And if you're just coming from JavaScript, like if you're an Angular developer or uh, just a Backbone or jQuery developer and you want to pick up uh, mobile app development, I would probably say um, take a look at React and understand the React lifecycle and um, how props and state work and then kind of jump into React Native after that. You kind of brought up. Oh, go ahead. Oh, sorry. Uh, so I, I would also say that like tooling itself is important because what I have seen like across JS developers, web developers coming to React Native, like the knowledge of Xcode, the knowledge of Android Studio, Gradle, and all this native tooling is super important if you want to ship your app actually because things are different on mobile side. Like there is no webpack and, you know, shipping your app is not just a matter of using Heroku or a similar service. Uh, but you also have to know how to kind of create an account on the iTunes, how to deploy your app, how to manage all the certificates and stuff. So that, that, that was also one of the reasons why we have built RMPM, uh, just because like linking native libraries was super hard for users because like essentially on web, you just NPM install something required and it's done. It kind of works. Uh, but on the native side, like on the uh, on the React Native side, you have to you have to like link your libraries. You have to add some native code. You have to bundle uh, you know other native dependencies. So the process itself is way more complicated, and you have to and you have to think of all these steps. So so I would say tooling is important as well because you just have to know uh, that the process is different and there are like. A lot of things you have to you have to consider when you are uh, about to deploy um, uh, your application and, and want to make it available for your users. Can you actually go into a little bit more detail on that? Because um, so you guys first touched on um, about being able to use Flexbox, which is different from my understanding of what you would do if you were using like Swift or something like that. Um, but then another cool thing is that if you're using React, you can um, do hot reloading. But then the other thing um, that I've read is that you don't have to go through the App Store to update your app. So I guess I'm bringing up all these things because I was just going to see if we could talk a little bit about, you know, everybody says like how great it is to share code. 
Um, but it seems like there is actually also a lot more there other than just being able to use JavaScript and just being able to share code that's really valuable versus just using like Objective-D or Swift. Yeah, um, I can go into a few of those things that were very beneficial for us. Um, so we have a, a lot of na native developers that, or we have a few native developers on our in our company. Um, so one of the main things that they said as uh, was a huge benefit and a draw for React Native versus native development was the fact that we do have the live reloading and the hot reloading. The hot reloading as far as being able to just save your app and being able to update the state of your app without having to compile it. So a lot of times if you're developing uh, a native app, you have a compile time, a compile step of anywhere between a few seconds to maybe a minute, depending on how large you are of an app you have. So like if you have uh, just a small UI change, um, sometimes that would get really frustrating and the de developer time would um, you know, be extremely long just to make a small change. So it's beneficial for companies because you're able to kind of uh, develop apps a lot faster. And that's just one of the ways that it improves your uh, speed of development. Um, you mentioned the um, remote updating through the App Store. And yeah, there's a lot of services that are built now and a lot of different implementations of that um, as far as being able to update your app. So basically what you do is you build your initial version of your app, submit it to the App Store, and then as long as you're not updating any native code as far as um, any actual like Objective-C or anything like that, you're able to remotely update your app using a, one of many services. One of the best ones right now is actually Microsoft Code Push. So Microsoft has built a really, really nice way to do that. They have a nice API. It's, very, it's free and it's really easy to use. And you can basically update things like you would uh, on the web. So like if you're a, a native mobile app developer, you may be used to waiting a, uh, a day to a week to update your app in the App Store. Whereas if you're a web developer, you can update it on the fly. So with Code Push, you can update your native app on the fly. So that's a really, a really um, beneficial thing as far as uh, React Native goes. That brought up an interesting thought in my mind, which is that uh, as, as a web developer, you might not have an idea of what the constraints are of the native platform. So sometimes some of the pitches that I hear for React Native are like, if you're used to this crappy thing about mobile development, check out this awesome thing. And it's like, I, I, <laughs> I didn't know that was a crappy thing. I just thought you could just deploy code easily or build fast or whatever. So uh, it seems like part of the pitch for React Native is making web developers aware of Here's what it's like without it. Um, I have a question about uh, kind of what, so Chuck already asked how much of the experience transfers over. Um, and, and I have kind of a slightly different take on that question, which is if I'm a web developer and I, and I get into React Native, what's going to be hard for me besides the obvious things of, of like writing objective C or Android code or whatever, like what, what will not be as seamless for me? Uh, I think yeah. the tooling is like, 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 <clears throat> like the tooling, I think is the hardest thing you have to, you have to kind of check out before you actually start writing anything like, like for example, on iOS, <clears throat> obviously react native ships with the command line tools. So, for example, you can run your app on the iOS on the simulator with just a command line, and you can run your app on Android with the command line as well. Uh, but you know, there are times where you have to, when you have to open the Xcode, and you have to check out 
like oh you have to like bundle your app you, you sometimes have to change the release scheme and and you know do a lot of configuration stuff and this is not something web developers are used to uh, an xcode interface is not like the best interface ever made so sometimes people get confused how to change things and how like like even to understand why these things are like required especially given that apple is kind of super strict about like what can be inside the app what cannot be inside the app it has a lot of security concerns you have to consider and you have to for example uh set up like like sometimes with the ios 9 release you can't just access a random server because they are kind of whitelisted now so if you are about to access like resources you have to whitelist them uh in the configuration and these are the things people are sometimes asking like why this is required or for example why my like http services are not working so these are the things people are uh, kind of trying to to figure out and these are the hardest things i i, I think from my experience there are there are like the, the the biggest deal breakers for web developers when they are trying to actually write a React Native app. Sure. Okay, I have another question. Oh, sorry, was someone else going to go? No, I, I was going to tell everyone that you had a question. But oh. you, you did it yourself. <laughs> Yay, me. <laughs> um, so I feel like some podcasts I was listening to, they started going into details about this, but I was on a run and I was like half paying attention because I was running really hard so i would like to actually go like into, running away from something no 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 like running on my run like <laughs> around the harbor <laughs> and i probably was like really hot so half paying attention uh anyway so i'm actually super interested if we could get into some not just like talk about it um at a surface level but actually like get into some of the details about how it works um bridging between the native apis and react native when react native like doesn't support something yeah, Mike, do you want to kind of pick this question up? Because I know you've done quite a bit of that. <laughs> yeah, I know. I know that question was going to, to, to be asked well, after all. Um, yeah, so speaking more in details, like there is a very, very nice um, um, presentation given by uh, Tadeusz Zagal, which is, uh, which is the guy behind the iOS bit of the React Native. Uh, I'll, I'll, I'll share the link later after this talk where, where like, like the bridge itself is explains very, very much in details. Uh, but like speaking very briefly, what happens when you, when you, how, how, how like the bridging between native code and JS code works is that, uh, for example, on iOS, you create, um, you create, um, uh, you create a class, which is extending, um, which is extending some react native, um, internal code. And then Inside this class, you have to define the methods that your uh, that your native code is going to expose to the JavaScript. So, for example, if on iOS you have a method that can be called I don't know, call a number, uh, you have to wrap it uh, with a macro which is called RCT export method. And as soon as you wrap this method with this macro, this method is going to be available uh, on the JS side, and you can actually call, call it. So, um, so, so on a very very high level. When you wrap these, uh, when you wrap these methods with the macros that are available uh, on iOS, uh, then during the runtime of your app, all these informations are collected into a huge JSON, and that JSON is then transferred to the JavaScript. And based on the informations provided in that JSON, um, uh, the, the React Native is available is able to actually kind of build the dynamic API based on that file. So if it receives, for example, an array. Uh, and inside this array, there is an information that your code is exposing, for example, 10 native modules. 
and all these 10 native modules have some certain methods. Based on that information, it will prepare an object for you uh, where properties will be the names of your native modules, and each of these properties will have one another object inside with properties that will be names of the methods you can actually call. So the API is built dynamically when your app starts based on the information provided by your native code. Um, so the most important part when you are about to write a native module is to decorate the methods you want to expose. Uh, and after that, everything is done by React Native so that you can just keep calling them and providing, um, uh, providing the, uh, the methods uh, you want to call. Obviously, there are some constraints here because not everything can be passed or transferred through the bridge. Uh, for example, on iOS, you can pass some literals like strings, numbers, objects, uh, and these are converted when, like during the call, these are converted. So for example, string becomes an NS string and object becomes an NS dictionary. And these are the objects from the core iOS library. But for example, you can't transfer NS date because this is a custom property that's not supported. So in order to pass a date object uh, through the bridge to native code or from the native code to JS through the bridge, you have to convert it to string. Um, so these are like the things you have to remember. But essentially what happens is there is like dynamic communication through the bridge um, and all these calls are queued up. Uh, so um, like, uh, like, like, the, like, like this native topic itself is kind of broad. So if you have more detailed questions, I'll be happy to answer. Um, but as I said, like, like the API itself is built dynamically based on the information provided during the runtime, um, based on you know the native modules you have and the exported methods that you have decorated. Yeah, we actually had a pretty good episode on React Native Radio about bridging uh, native components with Tadu. Um, so I think it's like episode eight. So if you're interested in that, or if anyone listening is interested in learning more about that, um, definitely check out that episode. Um, and Google Tadu Zagala and, and look up his blog. He has uh, some good stuff on there as well. But first, you must spell his name. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's, definitely. That's uh, the biggest challenge. We'll put this in the show notes. Yeah, yeah, there, there you go. He's a really smart guy. He, he knows lots of things. Yeah, he also has a lot of cool stuff about the JSVM itself and how like the React code is executed on React Native. So if you are interested, for example, in, 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 in learning more about how actually JavaScript code can be executed on, on iOS or on Android and how like the native views are transpiled uh, and, and how that happens that you can write a React component that then becomes a native component, you should definitely check out that talk because like pretty much everything has been explained there in terms of the life cycle of, of, like, of what happens when you open up the app till you see the first view. So one so, other question uh, that oh, ahead, I'm Jack. running across here is that, um, so uh, I just got back from Wood Badge, which is uh, adult leader training for Boy Scouts, and one of my tickets or one of my goals is to write an iOS app that has cheers for Cub Scouts in, them, in it. And so I'm wondering, should I do this in Swift or should I do it in React Native, and why or why not? I stumped him. <laughs> can you can you repeat the question? I was I was off on uh, Google, like looking something up. So I apologize. The, the question I have is: Let's say that I'm going to build a new app, 
And it's a relatively simple app, right? It it makes certain uh, information easier to get, and you know it, there are like two or three types of data in it. Is all. Um, sh why should I use React Native, or why shouldn't I use React Native? Well, if you're like a Swift developer or an Android developer, and you're very comfortable building native mobile apps, then there's really no reason to use React Native if you're just targeting that single platform. But for most of us, um, we're not really versed in all these different platforms. So I guess the main argument for something like what you're talking about would be the, uh, of the you know having the opportunity to build cross-platform using mainly the same code base. So pretty much um, all the apps that I've built with React Native so far, we kind of like to go through them and see what percentage of our code is being reused. And we're able to use anywhere between like 70 to 90% of our uh, code cross-platform. And so, so I guess the main thing would be if you're not a, a very good Android and iOS developer, the main reason to go with something like React Native would be able to you'd be able to get the performance of a native mobile app, but only being able to understand a single platform. So like their original idea was learn once and write anywhere. Um, and they've stuck to that, but they've also kind of moved also more towards the write um, once run anywhere to an extent. So they're not saying you can pretty much just write the app a single time and have it run everywhere, even though that, is theoretically possible if you stayed away from platform-specific APIs, but you would be able to reuse a lot of your code. So that would be, I guess, my argument for something like that. And if, it's, if it's not written in React, there's still just the idea that most of the code will cross over one way or the other. Um, so, I'm sorry, can you repeat that? So, so the idea is, is you get the benefit if you've already written the app in React that you can share some of your code, but I haven't really done that. I haven't written it as a web app. So what you're telling me is the other advantage is, is that there are certain aspects of it that will cross over between both platforms, and I can effectively be on uh, the two main smartphone platforms right out of the gate instead of having to learn Swift and then having to learn uh, Java. Exactly. What were you gonna say, Mike? I was just I was just going to say, like from the developer perspective, um, what I have seen, like when I was comparing my development of uh, of native applications of Objective C to the uh, development of even like iOS React Native apps, was that when I was dealing with complex JSON data structures, for example, when I was interacting with REST APIs, fetching some data, I have noticed that it's way easier for me to work with JS, for example, fetch APIs. Uh, and then transform this data with uh, with JS. Then, <clears throat> in uh, then then for example, writing some complex uh, serializers and deserializers in uh, in Objective C. So I would also say if you are planning to do a lot of HTTP requests and operate on web data, and you want to write something super super quickly, that's also like uh, something to consider to keep in mind uh, because it's going to turn out to be way more simple uh, in terms of managing the data. So I know the uh, part, whoa, I got some crazy echo going on. Does anybody else hear that? I heard a little bit of it. Okay, no, well. But I don't hear it anymore. So. It's gone now. The mysteries of Skype, who can fathom them? <laughs> uh, I know part of what we were going to talk about today, I thought, was was the, the React Native in Action book, right? 
Yeah, so um, I've been working with Manning for about uh, six months now. Uh, we're putting together a book called React Native in Action. So it just went on sale uh, yesterday, which was uh, July, uh, August 1st. Um, we have three chapters so far. It's going to be um, a total of uh, 12 to 14 chapters, and it's pretty much going to be a very comprehensive book. So if you're if you're coming into React Native or you're coming into mobile app development and you kind of want to learn how to build mobile apps using JavaScript, um, you know, React Native and Action would be a pretty good book for you to kind of check out. And you can read the first chapter online for free um, and kind of see if it's kind of what you're looking for. And um, if it is, um, you know, it's available for purchase right now. So how do you write a book about a technical topic like this that moves so fast? I mean, especially if you're going to talk about, like, the tooling or the um, modules or ecosystem or something like that. Or do you just not talk about that stuff and try and focus on the, the core that's not going to change? Yeah, it's been, it's been pretty interesting. And, um, you know, this is my first time actually putting together a full book. I've done quite a bit of blogging. I've done quite a bit of other um, forms of publishing as far as web stuff, but I've never actually put together a book. And working with them, you know, um, they understand that this has been a very fast-moving technology. And already, just in the past few months, there's been a lot of API churn, and we've actually had to go and rewrite um, pretty much every chapter um, every month. Uh, when I say rewrite every chapter, we've pretty much had to go in and just pick out things that have changed and best practices that have changed and um, things like uh, the way that you import React and React Native from the platform changed. So pretty much everywhere you know, in there that we've um, referenced React Native, we've had to kind of go in and rewrite that. So um, I would say you know, one of the best things about um, dealing with you know, these e-publications like React, I mean, like uh, Manning, and stuff like that is um, we are going to continue to keep the book up to date. So whenever something does change, um, we pretty much go in and, and update that. And something that's really interesting, actually, um, is the Navigator is in very much in flux right now. So there is um, a few different ways to use uh, navigation and um, routing in, the, in, in React Native, but they're actually deprecating the main way to do um, routing and navigation, and they're implementing a new experimental um, way to do navigation, but the API isn't stable yet. So we intended for that to be like around chapter six or seven, but um, for the sake of not having to rewrite the entire chapter, we're going to actually put that off towards kind of the end. We might write like a smaller chapter and um, kind of walk through all the different ways to do navigation. Um, except for the experimental way. And then once that API becomes stable, we're going to go in and, and, um, and update that. But, yeah, it's been, it's been very interesting. It's been a lot of work. Um, it's been a lot of rewriting and testing and rewriting and testing. Um, but overall, I think um, we're really happy with uh, what we have so far. And, I, and if you are interested in learning about navigation and things like that without you know, purchasing the book, I have quite a few blog posts on Medium. Um, so... I'm Dabit3 on Medium, and um, I have quite a few different blog posts on the experimental navigator as well as some regular um, uh, implementations of the navigator. And those are also being kept up to date with the API changes. Um, another book I would also recommend if you're into React Native is um, 
so Arali put out a book called Learning React Native, um, and it's a little um, smaller or shorter of a book. It covers some of the same topics, but not so in depth. But it's a very, it's an excellent book. In fact, I read it when it first came out. It's written by Bonnie uh, Eisenman. So um, that's just another option, too, if you're looking to learn React Native. I would check that book out as well. That's cool. So you're not in competition with that book, trying trying to crush it. <laughs> <laughs> no, definitely not. I love that book. So. Since things are so fast-moving, do we know what's coming next? So um, Mike is actually um, on... Mike actually handles the releases for React Native, and he's kind of closer to the metal there. So um, I kind of keep up with the updated versions that are coming on the React Native uh, GitHub repo um, to kind of keep up with what's going to be coming and what to be working on in the book. But, um, you know, Mike can actually maybe speak a little more to that. Uh, yeah, so <clears throat> we don't have any... Uh, we don't have any upcoming roadmap like what will happen in the next like few months. I guess that's something people at Facebook might know better. But speaking for the release process itself and what gets released every two weeks, because uh, obviously React Native gets released every two week, uh, every two weeks. Uh, we always release on top of the master. So if you want to check what's coming up next, you should just visit the React Native repo and see the latest comments that landed to master uh, from the biggest. Features that are going to land in like few days because um, there is going to be React Zero thirty-one, I guess, being released. Is that we have uh, we have fully reworked the command line interface to be more developer friendly, to have more examples and to have more features. And this is thanks to the RMPM that I've mentioned previously that we managed to merge. So so these are like this is the biggest like feature that's going to be added uh, in the upcoming release. But as I said, if you are interested in like knowing more what's going to be released uh, in next two weeks or in next month, you should definitely check the uh, the comments that have been merged to master because essentially that's what we are uh, that's that's how we are releasing the the React Native versions. There is there is no nothing like roadmap. There is obviously a product paints website where we are trying to list the most uh, important for the community, the most important features for the community that are that are waiting for some contributions. So these are like the most the most uh, there these are the most likely to be to be implemented uh, in the nearest future. So so definitely you should check it out uh, to see what what's coming up next. And um, I know you guys have done an episode or two on React Native, but um, you know this this is a fast moving framework like we talked about earlier, and there's constantly things being improved. So um, I'm, I was going to ask uh, Mike to maybe speak about where React Native is today as opposed to where it was when it first came out and why someone that may have had tried it in the past may want to come back and take another look at it if they weren't too happy with it or they weren't too interested in it when it first came out. That's a fantastic question. Thanks for doing our job. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, actually, I've been wondering the same like earlier today. Um, how React Native did change over like a year from like if we if we're trying to compare uh, compare it with the old versions, I think like the biggest difference is the ecosystem itself. Like like back in the day, a year or a year ago, if you were about to write something, there was always like a module, a component that you that you were feeling like it's missing. If you wanted to make in-app purchases within your app, 
there was nothing to use. If you wanted to scan your credit card, there was nothing to use. Now all these modules are there, maintained by the community. So if you had a feeling that the ecosystem is not there yet, and if, if you had a feeling that something is missing and you didn't have native experience to write these missing things, now you can try to check it again because it might turn out that all these things are already there. So this is, this is one of the things that, that did change a lot. Also, like the API itself, uh, has become became more more stable. Like 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 back in the day, React Native was shipping with React forks, so it was impossible. It was super hard to actually share components between platforms. Uh, for example, Redux used to have its own React Native uh, entry point just because React Native was having a different React version. Now these things are no longer there because React Native is depending on normal React version. So so this improved as well. And if you wanted to write a React Native app uh, with with reusing Redux in mind and with reusing some web logic in mind, now this is totally possible and it did improve. So if you are about to do it again or if you would like to check it out again, I think it's uh, it's a good time because you know like like all these things improved and are improving. Um, documentation is improving. Like back in Edge, there was a lot of missing places. The documentation was kind of confusing in a few places as well. Uh, now we had revamped the documentation dramatically. It's now way better. It has more method. It is more methods described. It is uh, like it has more sections. So um, if you had problems with knowing some things, if you were unable to understand some certain things, uh, if you found a lot of unanswered questions on Stack Overflow, now you can try to search for these questions again because it's very likely that they are already answered and you will probably find an answer in documentation uh, for these uh, particular things again. If somebody is listening to the show and they're thinking, all right, well, my next app is going to be a native or is going to be a mobile app and I think I want to try out React Native, how do they start a React Native project? It's actually super simple because all they have to do is they have to just open up the terminal and call React Native in it and enter the app name. And that's done. I mean, after probably an hour uh, uh, after npm install finishes, you can just run uh, your app with a command line again. So all in all, it's just a set of two calls, React Native in it, app name, and then React Native run iOS, for example, and you are done. That's all you have to do uh, in order to get uh, a bare bones application that just says hello world and you are ready to go ready to explore the apis and do whatever you want do you need to use npm to install a command line package or something yes you have to first of all you have to install the react native cli package which is okay. uh, the global, global version of the package uh, important thing about this is that it doesn't have anything hard coded so you don't have to update it like you just have to install it like once in your life uh, to have it on your machine, and it will automatically detect React Native uh, from NPM, and then like the the commands like e like run iOS, run Android, all these things are actually called from within your Node modules. So if we announce something on Twitter, if we announce that okay CLI has a new command, you don't have to do anything because it will already be there for you. So just install it once and forget about it, and just call init, and you are set. Um, pretty much every time. Yeah, and um, I also wanted to kind of speak about um, RNPM a, a little bit more because I know when I first started um, with React Native and I wanted to implement some of these native modules or these 
native plugins for um, React Native, actually getting them to work and configuring them as a web developer took me a little time to understand because when you, um, in the past at least, when you had to install a native module or a native uh, package into your React Native project, you also had to do some configuration in Xcode or you had to do some configuration in your Java file for Android. And if you're not a native developer, it was a little, um, you know, a little hard, um, and it took some digging in and, and a little bit of uh, work to do. But now um, RNPM is something that is um, built into React Native. So if you want to install one of these native modules, it's as simple as typing a simple, uh, single command. I think it's RNPM link. So you basically install the package of npm install, and then you run a command rnpm link, and then everything just works. And uh, Mike can probably talk a little bit more about because he is one of the uh, the people that kind of created rnpm. Mm, yeah. So 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 as you said, like the biggest the biggest problem we had back in the day was that when we wanted to actually use a third party module that had some native code inside. In, like not only we had to run npm install, but we also had to perform some certain actions that were different uh, for every single module based on the native code or native components these modules were having. So uh, this is kind of complicated for web developers because on um, uh, on uh, on native side, you not only have native code like Objective C or Java code, but you also have some libraries and some uh, native libraries that you have to link to your project. And these steps are not done automatically. You can't just have them added to your project for you automatically. So after installing a module, you have to open your Xcode. You have to locate some build settings, uh, which is a tab in Xcode. And then you have to add some header search paths. You have to um, perform some other certain things, like include a static library into your project. And you know people are not only trying to find these places, but they are also wondering what a static library is. So what we wanted to do is to make a tool that will abstract away all these things and will make uh, installing a native library for React Native as simple as NPM installing anything else. So now that RNPM is merged into React Native, uh, there is nothing actually you have to perform. Like all you have to do is you have to just call React Native install instead of npm install and provide a name of the module you want to add and um and yeah as i said like everything else will be done automatically for you uh and i think this is a pretty cool feature because like in most cases the linking steps the manual linking steps were simple because you just had to do free free things and after doing this for like a month or two you already learned them so you were doing this automatically but then let's say you wanted to integrate code push and if you go to the CodePush uh, GitHub repo and you, you check out the README installation steps, you will see that there is like way more things to do. You have to uh, provide some configuration. You have to set up keys, tokens. You have to attach some native libraries, uh, SQL libraries, or something else. And this is getting super tricky, not only to add to your project, but then think about uninstalling a native dependency. You, it's like it's very, very, it's very, very likely that you may break something because these uh, third-party native dependencies may overlap across all your uh, all your React Native dependencies. So, as I said, like RMPM um, is the tool that makes this uh, super easy for you because you don't have to think about it. Like, if you are a web developer, you don't have to learn what a static library is or what a what a 
what a native library is or how is React Native dependency different from regular JS dependency. If they are all in NPM, they should be the same. Uh, so, so as I said, like this tool is there to, to make it easy for you, to make this initial steps easier for you to start with React Native. All right. Well, everyone got real quiet. So let's go ahead and get into our picks. Uh, Amy, do you want to start us off with picks? Sure, I have one, and I'm not going to say the full title because I don't like to cut. But anyways, um, it is a talk by Kathy Sierra, who I actually um, was not really terribly familiar with, but apparently she is amazing from everyone who responded as I posted this on Twitter. But it's a talk called uh, Making Bad A Developers. And um, it just kind of talks about, I think, like using your mental energy wisely when you're uh, developing something. So I got a lot out of the talk. And she's just like a phenomenal speaker as well. So that probably makes the talk, too. And I'll put a link in the show notes. That's it for me. All right, Jameson, what are your picks? I have four picks, and two of them are self-serving. I'll do those first. My first pick is... Uh, surprise, surprise. It's React Rally. It is a community React conference in Salt Lake City, um, August 25th and 26th. This might possibly go out before the conference starts. Uh, we're, we're working on a live stream. That depends on a couple things, but for sure we will record the talks and have them up on YouTube soon after the conference. Tickets at this point are almost sold out, so they might be sold out by the time this airs, but we... Uh, we'll see. We might have some more. Um, but I would love to see you there. My next pick is another podcast that I'm on called Soft Skills Engineering, where we talk about the uh, kind of non-technical side of software development. It's um, Dave and I, so two, two JavaScript Jabber people. We got a website this week, and we're just so proud of being all grown up and having a website. So you can see all our episodes at softskills.audio as a way to subscribe to and then uh, my next two picks are just two books that I've been reading lately that I've really enjoyed. One is Practical Object-Oriented Design in Ruby. It's a Ruby book, but guess what? It's good no matter what language you program in. Um, it's been really interesting to read it and think, how would I solve this from a more functional programming aspect too? Uh, just, just really good um, information on how to design code that's easy to maintain. And then the second book is The Algorithm Design Manual. Um, I, I did a CS program in college, and I took a course on algorithms and another one on data structures, but it's been a long time since I've like, really looked into that stuff. And this is a pretty, um, I'd say it's a pretty approachable book. Some of these uh, are, are very like mathematical and formal and kind of difficult to read as just a working programmer, but this one is really well written and also really interesting too. So those are my picks. All right, I'm going to jump in with a few picks. Um, generally, we talk about picks as something that made your life better or something that you're working on or enjoy. And I've, I really had a pretty impactful experience last week. Um, as I mentioned before, I was at Wood Badge, if you're not familiar with what Wood Badge is, it's training for adult leaders in the Boy Scouts of America. Um, I think they also have it in uh, England and you know other countries as well. Um, but anyway, it was it was just I, I don't know how to describe it, but I feel like more than just being a more capable uh, Boy Scout leader, I feel like I'm a more capable leader in general and a better person for having gone. So. 
Um, I, I really, if you're involved in Boy Scouts at all and you're considering going, just go. Um, the other, um, the other thing I'll say about it is that I have attended leadership training in the past and I've seen leadership training, uh, programs on par with Wood Badge and they usually cost thousands of dollars, two, three, four, five thousand dollars. Uh, I've seen them cost Wood Badge. If you're a Boy Scout leader, or even if you're not, um, it's open to anybody, but, uh, it is $130, I think for adults in the U S. So you have to camp out. That's part of the deal, but um, it is definitely worth it. So anyway, um, so I'm going to pick Wood Badge. I'm also going to really quickly pick the Boy Scouts of America um, just because I think it's a terrific organization that teaches uh, young men and young women if they want to join an explorer crew um, or a venturing crew, sorry. Uh, if they want to join a venturing crew, they can do that, um, and it teaches them strong values and um, really gets them involved in a terrific organization. Um, the mission of the Boy Scouts is actually to teach young people to make uh, good life choices based on the values in the Boy Scout uh, oath and law. So um, I think people are on board with most of the principles there, and I think it's a terrific organization that does a lot of good in the world. Um, lastly, I'm going to pick the scout camp that we were up at, a beautiful area. It's called, uh, Camp Typhi Scout Camp. It's part of the Mountain Dell Scout Ranch. Um, it's right above Mount Pleasant, Utah, if you know where that is. Um, but anyway, um, if you don't know where that is, don't worry, because Mount Pleasant's a really small town. But we were up on kind of a bench above the valley, so you could look out over the valley, uh, beautiful scenery. They had, I think we saw three or four like four or five point bucks just walking across the open area in the camp. Um, and it was just, it was just wonderful. So a uh, great place to go. And I know that they have activities that you can go up and do without actually attending the scout camp. But if you're looking for a place to go and, you know, a nice, a nice place to visit, then that's, that's definitely uh, a place that I would recommend. So yeah, those are my picks. Uh, Natter, what are your picks? Yeah, so I have three picks. Um, my first pick is going to be the Angry Birds movie. Um, I wasn't really too hyped up to see that movie for some reason because I'm not a big fan of the game. But um, if you have kids or if you just like animated movies like me, then I highly recommend watching it. It was like extremely entertaining, great animation. It was just a really fun movie. Um, my second pick is an app called Enki. It's spelled E-N-K-I. And um, you can sign up for the wait list. I signed up for the wait list, and it... Uh, took about a week and I got an email and uh, was able to download the app. It pretty much gives you five minute daily workouts for dev skills and you can pick whatever programming language you're looking to learn. Um, I'm, I'm on Python, JavaScript and Ruby. And right now um, they only have JavaScript um, actual exercises, but Ruby and Python are coming up. And what it does is basically sends you a push notification every day and it gives you like um, five different new things about a language and you can kind of pick what skill level you are. So either beginner, intermediate or advanced. And I've learned a lot and I really enjoy it. And it lets me fit in a little bit of extra learning every day. Um, and my last pick is uh, something we already talked about. It's my book. It's called react native in action for Manning publications. So if you're listening to this podcast and you're looking to learn more about uh, react native, um, go download the first chapter. It's free. And, um, Check out the book if you're interested in uh, the rest of it. Awesome. 
Mike, what are your picks? Uh, I have three picks as well. Uh, so the first pick is the React Native Europe conference that will happen next year, probably in quarter three in Poland. And it's going to be the first React Native conference to happen in the world. So if you are like looking for uh, <clears throat> learning more about React Native and kind of hearing more about native modules and how React Native can help your dev team and help your apps to go on both platforms and on all platforms, you should definitely sign up to our newsletter on our website and wait for the tickets. Uh, it will be happening next year, and Poland is a really great country to visit, so definitely don't forget about it on your list. Uh, the second pick is the React Native Apple TV. Uh, Apple TV is obviously the digital media player by Apple, uh, and I've, I'm pretty sure like you guys all have heard of it before. Uh, so there is that guy called Doug Lauder, uh, that had made um, a fork of React Native where he added a support for Apple TV and it's supposed to be working pretty well uh, because you know the APIs between iOS and Apple TV are pretty pretty similar so if you are having an Apple TV at your home and mobile development is not your toy you can kind of try uh, try to get this up and running and probably build an app on your uh, TV I don't know a game or, or kind of a streaming uh, platform uh, whatever you want it should be fun and um, my last pick is going to be um, a little bit of self-promotion. Uh, if you are in San Francisco or living nearby, there is a React Native meetup happening on November 16th. Uh, I'll be there speaking about native modules. So if you'd like to have a chat, have a coffee, or to learn more about kind of adding native code to your JS apps and making it cross-platform, uh, just be there and, you know, uh, <laughs> we'll, we'll see there now. Um, actually, uh, I'll probably start once again with this one. So my last pick is going to be a React Native Meetup that's happening in San Francisco on November 16th. I'll be there speaking about native modules. So if you'd like to hear more about how we have built that media player I've been talking about previously, how to add in native code to your app and make it cross-platform, uh, just be there. We'll have a coffee and share our experience. Sounds good. You should stop off in Utah on your way back. <laughs> I'll do, I'll do. Actually, I have a list of places to visit, so I'll be having a car. Uh, yeah, definitely. Is Mississippi on that list? <laughs> <laughs> I have like half of US on my list already, so <laughs> I'm not really sure how, how this all will fit in my, uh, in my visa allowance of three months, but uh, I'll try to make it. <laughs> I'll let you sleep on Jameson's couch. <laughs> You're welcome, like, too. Um, there's a nine-month-old baby, so there may or may not be a lot of screaming at night from human or from adults and babies together. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, we'll go ahead and wrap this up. I just want to put in another plug real quick, though. If you're a React Native developer or you're interested in React Native, uh, go check out React Native Radio. That's at reactnativeradio.com. And uh, see what they've been up to. How many episodes do you guys have now? 33, 34? We're um we're on number we just recorded number thirty six. Okay. So so yeah, definitely check that out. Um, you can also if you go to the JavaScript Jabber page on the top, there's a drop down for shows and it's listed there in the shows. So Kevin Kevin Old is also awesome on there. Yeah, absolutely. We have uh so Kevin Old, uh, Jed Watson, um, and Ali Naja Fizadeh, me and Mike are kind of the regular panelists. So we come and go. <laughs> All right. Well, we'll go ahead and wrap up the show. Uh, thank you both for coming, and we'll catch you all next week. See ya. Bye. Getting back to work. Bye, y'all. <laughs> See ya. Bye.
getting back to work. Why do you have to end on a downer? <laughs> it's not a, well, maybe it depends if I fix this bug or not. <laughs> I have confidence that you will fix it, Andy. I am so close. Oh, Jameson. Uh, <laughs> you know what? You know what? Hmm. Yeah, I was going to there... mention since you're moving to Nashville about Kevin Ole, but I guess you already know him. <laughs> oh, yeah, 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 definitely. I mean, because that's where I went to my boot camp. I feel like I know a bunch of the people there, and I'm just kind of moving back home close to friends and family and stuff. So, yeah, I'm really excited to go back there. But anyways, okay, getting back to work. All right, we'll catch y'all later. See ya. Bye, you guys. Thanks for having us on. Yeah, thanks for, yeah, coming. Thanks for coming on short notice. Yeah, thank you. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com to learn more.